Hello and welcome to another edition of Turned Out of Punk. I'm your host, Damian Abraham, and once again, I'm bringing you a conversation with someone who grew up listening to punk, may or may not still be involved with punk, but had life changed by the genre in a major way. And today on the show, there's no other way to put it, the legend, Jeff Ganells from Cold as Life from Hate Inc., Jeff G., is here on the show. Romala, more on that in one second. This is a huge guest for me, though. But first, if you want to get in touch with me, head over to the email address, turnedoutapunkpodcast at gmail.com. That is run by my brother and show producer and normally guest booker extraordinaire, but we got to thank Dom for this one. More on that in a second, too. And he will get the message to me. He also does the Turned Out of Punk Instagram page at Turned Out of Punk. If you're looking for me on social media, I'm at left for damien on Twitter and Instagram. And if you want to support the show, the best way to support the show is just by telling all your friends about it, letting them know that we do things like this Detroit week. This is actually the the culmination of the Detroit weekend turned week. But, uh, you know, so let them know that we do this kind of stuff. We have all sorts of different types of guests on here. You can also subscribe to it and rate it on the platform that you're listening to it on. And you can head over to patreon.com slash turned at a punk. And thank you, thank you, thank you to all the folks that do that. And uh, support the show that way. And speaking of support, this show would not be possible with the kind, loving support of the fine folks at Vans who said, Damien, do your podcast, just don't do it in your own pocket. And they helped me cover the cost of doing this thing, and it is very much appreciated. Thank you very much to them for supporting this thing. Uh, Also, check out over there at floodmagazine.com the Punk as Fuck videos that I did uh, a couple years ago. Some really wild stuff. Wild stuff, to quote a very dated uh, Johnny Carson, uh, and he's no longer with us. So, uh, that's how dated these references are. And, uh, anyway, but there, there's videos with me going to breakfast with Steve Albini and Don Bowles going through Brian Ray Turcott's punk rock museum in his office. There's a lot of fun stuff on that thing. So check those out. And finally check out fucked up's brand new year of the horse. It is uh, on Bandcamp now. What more information on what's going to happen with it in the uh, coming weeks? But Chapter 3 has just dropped featuring um, Matt from The National, someone I'm a huge fan of. And yeah, I'm stoked for you to hear it. So check out all that stuff. All right. Well, actually, speaking of things you got to check out, we can't go on any further without saying pick up this reissue that of Born to Land Hard by Cold as Life, which has just come out on the newly resurrected a389 recordings, which is run by my buddy, Mr. Day of Morning himself, Dom, who I've known for years. And he will be a come upcoming guest on this show very, very soon. Uh, but he got in touch with me and said, Would you like Jeff G from Cold's Life to come on Turned Out of Punk? And I said, Absolutely. This is a, a dream come true. Growing up in Toronto, this was the band, you know, we're geographically pretty close to Detroit. This was the band that that loomed large for us, a band of legend. Like this is the this is the definition of hardcore. Like this is a band that Madball wrote songs about how or wrote a song about how hard this band is. Like this is this is no joke. And I think when you listen to this episode, you realize that it, you know, these legends, we tend to glorify them and we tend to play them up in punk rock, but when you hear this, there's a real human toll behind all these legends and it's one person's legend and story that gets repeated and and you know exaggerated at times and, and sometimes just told verbatim uh it, it tends to glamorize it and glorify it but the reality is there's a real human cost behind all this stuff so i think you really get that um when listening to this and listening to jeff talk about these things like there is there's no other way to put it. This is a very harrowing episode. Um, there's a lot of death and uh, a lot of sadness uh, in amongst, you know, all this incredible music and all these stories that we, you know, repeat over and over again. Anyway, you'll hear all this stuff kind of come up throughout the show. Uh, I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Once again, though, do pick up Born to Land Hard. Like, it is probably, <laughs> like, one of the hardest hardcore records of all time. I will... I would put this up against a lot of different things. The lyrics, just everything about this thing is just on, on another level. And it's incredible that it's finally going to be out on vinyl. Like this has never been out on vinyl, which uh, always bothered me as a kid, you know, and, and now it's finally been rectified. So thank you, Dom. All right. I'm not going to ramble on anymore. Sit back, relax, and enjoy Jeff G on Turned Out of Punk. <laughs> 
Jeff, thank you so much for coming on the show. My my pleasure, Damian. I appreciate you. Well, as I was just telling you kind of off air before we went here, um, you know, growing up in Toronto, Colds' life loomed large up here for us being, you know, kind of geographically close to Detroit. So to finally get to talk to you and kind of, you know, put put voice to the legend, it's a huge thrill for me. Well, I'm 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 grateful to be here, Damian. I appreciate it. And uh um I I, I apologize for uh all the postponing, but you know, <laughs> sometimes duty calls and responsibilities, life demands much, but I'm glad we finally got a chance to talk. Well, I've been waiting 20 years to talk to you, so a few extra days was nothing to add on to that. I got to start this off, though, the way they all start off, which is, Jeff, how did you get in a punk? Do you remember the first time you ever came across it? Oh, geez. Uh, it was probably a, a discharge record or a GBH record I, I I ran across. And so when I was coming up, uh, vinyl was huge and mm-hmm. uh, record stores were still around and uh Roy and I used to go into record stores and, uh, and, and we would just look, we would spend the day at the record store. And I remember coming off, uh, or coming across, uh, leather bristle studs and acne by GBH. It was, might've been earlier release, but, uh, I think GBH was probably the first punk record I ever got. And what kind of stuff were you into before that? Like just when you started going to the record stores with Roy? Oh gosh. Uh, Oh man, uh, I, I was always a metal kid, man. Uh, you know, Metallica when you know off the Kill 'Em All uh, and Creeping Death and uh, Slayers, uh, Show No Mercy and Haunting the Chapel, and uh, I eventually got to a point where uh, you know it was the, the metal stuff was all kind of fantasy. Uh, kind of mystical or whatever. And I wanted, I guess, a little more real life. Some of the things that I were, I was feeling and, uh, wanted to, wanted to communicate myself. It's just started appealing to me and, and, and the punk rock, it just kind of morphed into it. And had you gone to any concerts kind of prior to finding the GBH record? Oh, geez. Uh, the first real hardcore punk show, um, I believe that I went to was, uh, a Dayglow abortion, uh, Gore, Ugly but Proud, um, Necros at the uh, oh my god, at, at uh at this place called the Greystone, a legendary place in Detroit. Um, I was playing in a a metal band, and uh, I want to say I don't know, maybe my junior year in high school, and uh, I went down there with a couple guys that we were uh I was playing with. And they were scared. They didn't want to go in, but I got out of the car and told them to pick me up in three hours. And I ended up going into this show by myself and I was, I was sold. Was it like a big scene at that point? Like how many people would have been at a show like that? Uh, you know, it's always been kind of a, a, a smaller scene. I wouldn't say it was a giant show, but I, I, mm-hmm. I, I could probably, you know, guesstimate maybe four or 500 people there. Wow. So what year would this been? I want to say, uh, 87, 88, somewhere in there, you know, Damien. So I've been asked questions like this before, right? Like to give dates and specifics. A lot of those years were kind of a blur. Um, so, you know, I'll, (laughs) I'll be as accurate as I can, but some of those, some of those times and some of those days were, uh, you know, they're kind of a blur, bud. Well, I know I just more to place it kind of in eras of Detroit because I'm I'm fascinated by the way, you know, because obviously punk's born there, but, you know, just how it develops there. And I find there's very specific, like, you know, looking from a distance, of course, but it feels like there's very, you know, specific kind of, I don't know, like eras or, or vibes in the in the punk that's coming coming out of that city at different times. And like sort of towards the late 80s, like, I guess Depression Records would have been kind of a bigger scene. Like ugly and proud and and uh, boom and the Legion of Doom and those types of bands. Oh, they were a huge part of it. You know, Negative Approach were doing their thing. Uh, the yeah. Necros was a big part of Detroit. Uh, yeah, the the ugly but proud, the Gore Heresy was another great uh, hardcore punk band in the day. Uh, mm. SBLC. Um, gosh, there's 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 so many man. There's so many I couldn't possibly name them all, but uh, it was always uh, a supported scene 
but uh, Detroit was kind of segregated, man. There was clicks yeah. and crews and little subgenres, man. And um, a lot of people were flying flags. And if you weren't under that flag, then there was fights. And uh, it was kind of, it was, um, it was an odd time, man. Uh, but it was always supported, you know, and the people that, that really liked the music would go no matter the outcome of the night. You know, sometimes you had to fight to stick around. Sometimes you had to fight to get in. Sometimes mm-hmm. you uh, had to fight to get out. But uh, um, there was a lot of really good bands from Detroit. And uh, it, w- it, was, it was punk, it was hardcore, it was metal. And whether you liked any of those genres, you would go and you would appreciate and you would support and you would make flyers and uh, it was a good time, man. But it was also um, a bit of a challenge just to be part of something like that because it was just so, it was it was dangerous back then. It was back when punk was dangerous, you know what I mean? And uh, yeah. the city we lived in was a bit dangerous too. If you didn't know how to navigate or carry yourself, uh, you could find yourself in trouble quick. Well, that's why, you know, that's why I'm fascinated by it because like you're saying, there's everything that's represented there. Like it's, you know, way smaller than New York, but you have every type of manifestation of punk rock showing up there from garage rock to like more like splatter punk stuff to oi to to hardcore. Like it's just, it feels like it's just such, it's brimming with punk band. It, it, and, it, and it was, uh, see, so I was a music fan, right? Mm. And, and I am a music fan. Um, more important than genre or era it was it was the music and the content uh of their message and what they stood for um what they were willing to fight for uh um that mattered to me more so i could go to a metal show i could go to a punk show i could go to a hardcore show um but it had to mean something. It had to be good. It had to be real and genuine and sincere and, uh, and, and stand for a little something, but, mm-hmm. uh, being so many genres and subgenres and little clicks, uh, it was all punk rock or it was all aggressive or it was all, uh, um, just real. And that's what appealed to me mostly about the punk and the hardcore as opposed to the metal. Cause the metal, like I said, it was all mystical and, fantasy and you know i you know i ended up kind of outgrowing that and finding a voice or you know kind of focusing on what i wanted to um hear or or think or feel or and there was just things i identified with with that everyday life that angst and uh uncertainty of of life itself and it you know the hardcore the punk scene just seemed to be a little more uh of what i identified with that band boom boom and the legion of doom is a band that you know so many people have come on the show and talked about and there's so many stories about them from them like throwing a dead deer carcass at youth of today to just being you know just like a really intense band but they're also a band that put out tons of records incredible like art on their records as well do you ever see that band live I have. Yeah, I have. What were they like for you? Like, what are some memories around that band? Uh, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a blur, man, but, uh, um, gosh, Damien, I'm not going to lie to you. It it was a blur, but I know that I've seen them quite a few times, but, uh, I know that their name carried, carried weight. Um, I know that they drew, you know, heads to see Mm them, uh, Mm -hmm but I couldn't tell you specifics about what I remember of them. So when did Cold's life begin to come together? Uh, well, so we had a punk band. Uh, it was Roy, myself and Jay way. Um, we were called the mattress rats. And, uh, that was, uh, you know, shortly after we started pulling away from, uh, you know, like, like the metal, like the Slayers, the Creators, the Voivods, um, and, and really started getting into punk. And we were writing, we probably had an album's worth of material and we didn't have a singer or a bass player. And, uh, we were looking and, uh, you know, we had known of Ron from the scene, uh, 
So he wanted to come check it out and, 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 and see if he could uh, put some lyrics down to some of the stuff we had. And he brought, he ended up bringing uh, Jimmy doom who was, uh, or I'm sorry, Robbie doom, who was Jimmy doom's little brother, the singer for ALD's little brother. Okay. Yeah. He played bass. And uh, so they, they showed up and, and we went through our set and Ron already had lyrics and we, we ended up leaving that little session with probably four or five, six songs. Ron really liked it. And uh, Jimmy doom was more of an oi oi cat because of his older brother playing in ALD. It was a little too maybe aggressive for him and he didn't want anything to do with it. And Ron was, was so he wanted in. So we uh we we started playing would any of those songs you guys came up with in that jam wind up on the breaking the law demo oh geez uh I, I imagine so but i couldn't tell you specifics but um but yeah i imagine so was it already kind of that vibe like did you guys figured out the sound from that first practice kind of like that you know oi oi meets hardcore kind of i guess is the best way to describe it yeah yeah that was definitely the sound um Yep, that was that was that was the direction we were going in for sure, and uh, that's what we stuck with for for quite a few years. It wasn't even like we were trying to, uh, you know, let's uh, let's do oi with a hardcore sound or let's do this with a that sound. It was uh, it was just something, you know. Discharge was a huge influence on us, mm-hmm. and so with a lot of the English punk bands like Coxbar and Cockney Rejects, and like I mentioned earlier, GBH, and there was some American uh, hardcore punk bands too that we were into, but uh, we just started writing. And uh, some of them were three chord, you know, progression. And it was just, uh, it was just how we, how we did it, but we were never really set out to have a certain sound or, but kind of just more organically and naturally. Was like, was you know with the mattress rats was the sound kind of the same that you were going for like or did it kind of shift once ron joined like i heard you describe the mattress rats in like an old super ass old interview as destructo punk it was um yeah maybe it uh maybe it changed a little bit a little harder like uh, Hmm. a little more or a little less punk and a little more hardcore but i think that both uh both were represented in the things that we were writing, but I think that maybe it did, it, it did t- tend to, to get a little more hardcore than, than punk. You guys stay independent for like 10 years. Well, like, you know, obviously you stay independent the whole way through, but I mean, like it's 10 years before you put out even like a, like an actual record. Was that like a conscious thing or is that just, you didn't find the right label or just the situation never presented itself? No, we always, uh, we always wanted to, to do our thing. There was, uh, there was offers, um, here and there. Uh, yeah, we just wanted to do our own thing, man. We, uh, we didn't want to do any kind of deals. We wanted to be in control of what we wanted to say and write and put out. And, uh, that's, that's how we did it. I think it's awesome with those demos too, because you can really follow the evolution of some of those songs, like, especially some of the songs that show up, you know, a few times, like to hear, as the band's getting harder and harder, like it's just, you know, you're kind of getting to where, where ultimately the first album would be, you know, but it's just, it's, it's amazing to kind of watch this evolution happen. And it's rare that you get to see that happen with a band. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, you know, it was like football, you know, three yards at a time, you know what I mean? uh, We just kind of kept moving the ball forward, man. And uh, honestly, Damien, we, we had no idea what we were doing. You know what I mean? A lot of people, a lot of our, a lot of our friends were dying. Uh, you know, people were going to prison. Uh, people were ODing. They were, they were crashing and burning all around us. And we, sometimes we didn't know what steps to take. And sometimes we had to hide out for months at a time because of something that happened at a show or down the street on the block. And, uh, honestly man we were just a bunch of kids man trying to make our way and we loved music and we loved what the hardcore the punk scene represented and uh and we we were just doing our best man but i i I appreciate now looking back seeing the evolution as well Mm -hmm. Uh, i feel grateful to have 
made it out. You know, I've definitely got my scars and my, uh, those bumps and bruises along the way. But, uh, looking back, I do appreciate the evolution too, but also looking back, uh, it was a mess, man. It was a complete mess, but I appreciate just seeing things develop the way they develop and, uh, getting, uh, a message from somebody saying that we impacted them or that they appreciated us or that they, um, that their life may have been changed for the better in some way or another because of what something we might've said or done for somebody. And, uh, it's kind of amazing to me. It's kind of humbling to me that, uh, that it's impacted people the way it has, because like I said, we're a fucking mess. And uh, we were just trying to survive and say the things that we wanted to say and do the things that we wanted to do. And it was just music to us. But looking back, it was so much more hearing some of the things that uh, that people say to us along the way. Humbling, man. Well, the, the, the songs like, you know, the songs hold up on a separate level, but I think it also just provides like it's a documentary, like you're saying, like you are documenting. It seems like, you know, and I, I mean this with no disrespect, but like a city in decline, like, you know, like listening to what you guys are singing about, like you're really like it's true street rock and roll. It, it is. It, it really is, man. There's a lot of bands out there that write about things they know nothing about. And the things that we wrote about were were our lives. And uh, um, and no, no disrespect or offense taken it it is it was a city in decline it still is there's parts that are seeing some revitalization and but along with that comes a whole bunch of gentrification too and uh detroit's a fucked up place and there's a lot of fucked up people and uh to see the people that have made it coming from the places that we've been is a beautiful thing because there's a lot that that haven't why do you think that is with Detroit? Like, obviously, you know, the automobile industry collapsing, I think, probably is a big factor there. But, like, why do you think that city is so fucked up? Like, it, it is something that just, you know, it just seems like it's, you know, and it's documenting your records. Like, it just seems to get worse as time was going on, especially throughout the 90s. Um, well, I mean, it's I think it's probably uh, the same reason other major cities uh, experience decline. But I would say... Uh, drugs um uh gosh lack of opportunity poverty uh we have we have we've had dirty politicians in this city running it for decades uh i, I mean the same ingredients that make every other major city that is experiencing the same thing you know there I, I would say that uh those are big contributing factors right there but drugs definitely um the lack of opportunities, like I said, uh, a vulnerable families because of the lack of opportunity, financial, you know, there, there's a lot to it, man. But uh, drugs, drugs were a huge part of Detroit's uh, downfall. I guess going back to the beginning of Colton's life, like who did you guys play with in the beginning? Like what scene did you kind of fall into? Because you mentioned there's a lot of different cliques. Oh, gosh, we, we were playing with uh, um, all the Detroit punk bands like SBLC, great, great punk band. We played with yeah, great band. Uh, you know, a lot of the bands that would come in from out of town from the East Coast would come and uh, and we would end up being support for them. Uh, after we were support for them, they would invite us out east and um, the Chicago bands that would come through. And, uh, you know, we, we we would get in where we fit in, you know, and mm -hmm. but there was a there was a whole era where because things got real crazy at coldest life shows that a lot of venues didn't want to touch us unless some, uh, di direct, you know, headlining band, um, put their foot down and said, no, this is who we wanted to play. Um, so it was hit and miss. There was sometimes we would play three shows a year just because a lot of people didn't want to touch us. Yeah. Like when did that reputation begin to start? Like, do you remember, like the first shows where like, was it just the way Detroit was like the shows were just fucking nuts and you guys were just, you know, kind of the, the band that seemed to attract that. Or do you remember a spe specific show where things started to go crazy for Cole's life with people coming out and going nuts? Maybe not a specific show, but a specific venue where, uh, uh, 
a guy that ran a venue on seven mile it was called blondies uh um you know we were a little wolf pack damien and uh and we stood by each other and stood for each other and uh you know, this guy, we were teenagers and this guy would bring these bikers in to try to run security for these clubs and try to kick us around. And, um, and we wouldn't take it and we would end up, um, tearing, tearing, tearing things up. And, uh, and it was a continual, you know, uh, I want to say half a decade, maybe better part of a decade thing where he would bring in a, a, a bigger security force and, and, and we would, and we would go with them. And, uh, but it started, it started like that, but it, it, no matter where we were, it, we seemed to attract, you know, those on the fringe or those most angry or those most willing to stand up and fight for what they believed. Uh, and those are all kind of recipes for, um, maybe some conflict along the way. So, I couldn't tell you a specific moment where we got that reputation, but, um, it was, it was there, you know, it, we weren't, we weren't going to lay down and, and, and just take, take, you know what I mean? What, what life was given, we were going to fight back. And I think that that just kind of, you know, no matter where you go, there you are. So no matter what venue it was, or no matter what city it was, there we were, you know, when did you start playing? Like, what was the, like, were you playing outside of Detroit on the first demo or is it like kind of not until like you take over on vocals that you really start playing outside of Detroit? Um, you know, AF, uh, no. So Ron was alive when, uh, when we were starting to go out East. Um, it, and it wasn't real often, but, uh, we did some AF shows on the East coast, some killing time shows. Uh, I want it. I can't remember if that set it off record, if Ron was still alive or not, but, uh, we ended up playing their record release party at CB's, uh, some crown of thorns. And again, you know, this stuff's kind of a blur. So chronologically, I can't, I can't yeah, yeah, of course. say completely accurate, but there were some, uh, there were some East coast shows going on with, with Ron, but we really started going traveling, uh, after he had died. Um, and I obviously this is painful. If you don't want to talk about it, I completely understand. But going back to after Ron passed away, like what was the motivation in keeping the band going at that point? And like, did you guys think about packing it in? No, we never really thought about packing it in. Uh, we, we, we had things to say and we had to do. And so that wasn't really an option. Um, we had tried a couple, few different singers. We actually, we tried for probably a year. We were, uh, trying to piece piece it back together and we just couldn't find anybody that that could do what we wanted them to do so uh so i started doing vocals and playing guitar at the same time but uh no we we never really thought about packing it in we we still had things that we wanted to accomplish i've read in interviews with you back then that you said like a lot of the motivation for touring at least with the band was like trying to trying to, you know, obviously track down this guy that emerged your friend. Um, was that like a motivation in keeping the band going is kind of spreading awareness about what had happened or, or about this guy that was out there? Like you, you put his, his mugshot in, in the record, obviously at a certain point. Yeah. You know, uh, we, we definitely wanted him to, uh, to be held accountable for what he did, you know? Mm -hmm. I, uh, so I, I'll never say somebody deserved to get killed. Uh, you know, but there's people that live their lives in a way that um, make you more likely or less likely to, to to die like that. I mean, you live by the sword and you die by the sword. And Ron was a guy that that lived by the sword, so it wasn't a surprise when he got killed. Um, it was tragic, nonetheless. You know, he had a young baby. Um, you know, he was loved by many and hated by more, but uh. He was my friend and, uh, yeah, you know? Yeah. Was like, what, what did that kind of change? Like the way you looked at the band after that, because you know, it's, it's a few years later that you get the record out. Like did, did that kind of spurn you on to kind of, you know, 
I don't know. I don't want to say take it more seriously, but like actually kind of like document what's going on with the band a little bit more. No, because like I said, when, you know, we were we were just trying to do our thing. Uh, it didn't it didn't I, I wouldn't say it motivated us to do anything more or anything less. It just, uh, you know, when somebody close to you dies, it it kind of. Um, you know, it, it'll put that that plant that seed like that we're all mortal, that we will die one day and that, it, you know, life and death are, are random. It can happen at any minute, you know, like uh, tomorrow is not promised to anybody. And it kind of, uh, you know, he was 23. I, w- I think I was, I think I was 23 at the time. And to have somebody so close get murdered like that, um, it kind of opened your eyes a little bit to, to, you know the the dangers of the world not that we had, we didn't really know before but you know ron ron was one of four people that played in cold as life that are in the ground now uh you know jake Locke, you know he ended up ODing you know he he ended up getting sh- he was involved in a robbery he got shot with a a 12 gauge it blew one knee into the other and uh and he just never recovered. He uh, he ended up getting strung out on dope, and he he crashed and burned. Johnny Myers, same thing. He uh, he OD'd and died. Timmy Mysick, he OD'd and died. You know, there it's just people people crash and burn. But when people that close to you start dying, it it definitely uh, it'll raise that awareness that life and death are real random. So I believe it's important to pull those people that you love close and tell them that you love them and say the things that you need to say, because it's not, tomorrow's not promised, man. Yeah. Like what you're saying there is obviously, you know, horrifically tragic and, and, but it's just, you know, no other band would survive that, you know, like, and I, you know, you hear about bands surviving the passing of one member, but like four members, like what's the motivation in keeping the band going? Like, obviously you're not going to, you're not doing this to become a huge rock star. Like, is it to document? Is it to just, you know, I'm like, I'm just wondering, like, you know, what is, what is the end game of Cold's life at this point for you? Like at that point that you're keeping the band going. Uh, to, to say, to say what we wanted to say, to, to do, be who we wanted to be, to, um, to make music, you know, to travel, to, uh, to be shoulder and shoulder with the people that are doing the same thing in other cities. You know, it's a, uh, it's a brotherhood thing and a sisterhood thing, you know, uh, I don't know. I couldn't say there was any real, like, you know, specific purpose behind it other than us really wanting to make music, us want to say and be heard, say the things we want to say and be heard and be taken serious. And, uh, and, and, and maybe, uh, maybe I guess document a little bit about the things that we've gone through, the things that we've seen and, Maybe, maybe a little bit of that whole message that you can rise above your circumstances and your disadvantages and the pain and tragedy, uncertainty that of, you know, what we face, you know, no matter, no matter how bad things get, there's somebody out there with a, with a worse story, you know, with, with a more painful, uh, past. And, you know, I guess maybe if others see the things that somebody goes through and survives them or overcomes them and perseveres over them. Maybe it offers a little hope. And I can't say that was our specific message, but looking back, maybe it was, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's not just your band, your, you know, Cole's life that's going through tragedy. Obviously the lead singer of the fights, you cadavers is murdered too. Like there's just seems like it's a scene that's, that's plagued by death yeah. during this time period. It is. And Steve Crass was a, a good guy, man. He was, uh, he would give you the shirt off his back. He was funny. He was kind, man. He was he he was a good fucking guy, man. And I think uh, you know, like in addition to being actual like literal survivors, your your band is the survivor of this era. Like you're, you know, like you you tell that story of the transition from like '80s Detroit punk to you know Detroit hardcore. Like it's really, you know, the band is the survivor of all these bands. We are. We are. What I I read that there's like an unreleased Vegas record. Like you guys recorded for the second LP in Las Vegas first. So yeah, we said so we went out there, man. There was a guy that had uh that had worked with Slayer. I don't know to what extent. Um that we had a mutual friend. We ended up flying to Vegas to uh to try to record. And uh 
it was a fucking shit show. You know, everybody split in different directions and got in all kinds of trouble. Uh, when we did end up recording, it was uh, it was horrible. Um, we ended up scratching the whole project. Is that yeah. is that the sorry is that the for the second record that demo? Oh gosh, uh, I couldn't tell you, buddy. I couldn't tell you for sure. Because there's like it's you know it's it takes you ten years to put out Born to Land Hard, but then you do uh, Declination of Independence within a year. Yeah, we were under a lot of pressure, man, to 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 get another record out. Even though we were on our own, um, we had started touring uh, the states and in Europe. Uh, Japan wanted us to come. That was when I think when 9-11 happened too. So that, that put a kibosh on a lot of travel, mm. but, uh, we, we had all this material and we wanted to record it. We were, we were, we, we had some momentum going, uh, with a whole bunch to say, and we wanted to get it out. So I, I, I do believe that that, that Vegas, yeah, you know what, that Vegas session, it was supposed to be declination. And I think we ended up finally recording it here in Detroit. Um, yeah, I think it was recorded in Detroit. I think it says on recorded in Detroit on it. Yeah, yeah. I think at the Temper Mill, maybe. I forget exactly where, but yeah, we ended up we ended up scratching the Vegas deal and 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 doing it here. So was like what other bands were kind of part as cold of life in during this period? Like, there's obviously Hate Inc. with with Beast, but like, were there other bands that you kind of looked at as being part of like your Detroit scene at that time? Um. Gosh, as far as like the the heavy, the hardcore, um, n- n- no, I no, I can't say right off the top of my head there was was any like peers. There was definitely bands doing some stuff, but uh, oh, you know what, T- Tyrant, uh, Tyrant was a band that was real deal. Um, they stood for what they believed in and they fought for what they felt was right. Uh, they were saying the things that, that meant something to them. And, uh, I, I would, I would call those guys peers, but, uh, as far as like, I, I mean, there were bands in the punk scene that were doing some stuff back then, like the beer whores, they were, they were doing great. Um, but, uh, no, there wasn't a lot of hardcore bands at the declination era um that were really doing anything and, that, and i apologize the ones that might have been but offhand i can't think of any right now dogs, kind of awesome. dogs of war were always doing some good stuff for sure mm. it, it's kind of awesome how like you know because you know the nature of the scene i guess is like you guys are still you know, with punk bands and still playing with punk bands, like Cold of Life is still a punk band. Like it's not segregated as just, you know, the hardcore scene. Absolutely. So a lot of the hardcore bands back, back then, uh, they were writing like a breakdown for their breakdown for their breakdown for their breakdown. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Cold Coldest Life was, it was more of a mix. Uh, there were some breakdown parts, but it was, we weren't writing for, okay, everybody's going to go crazy at this breakdown. You know what I mean? We weren't doing the chugga chugga thing. We still had the, the discharge influence, you know, the, uh, we were, we were just doing our thing. We weren't trying to write to appeal a lot of bands. And I've talked about this before. A lot of bands, if they, if they get a little momentum, right. And they get a little fan base going on, they want a bigger fan base and they want a little more momentum. So they try to write accordingly. They try to write so that they get more, people at their shows they get they write so they sell more t-shirts and we just never wanted to do that yeah it's also i guess like you describe as like a function of you know developing an isolation like you're developing without sonic peers so you're going to not copy anyone you're just going to be your own band absolutely absolutely so there was the east coast thing there was the west coast and even a chicago thing going that they all had their their identifying sound or uh you know, styles and Detroit is just a fucking shithole in the middle of the Midwest that didn't have any kind of, uh, uh, I don't know, anything to go by. We, we were just our own thing. It's so weird though. Like, you know, it's like you describe it as a shithole in the Midwest, but then you look 
you know, like cold as life, like hate ink, like all the hardcore stuff going back all the way, you know, the white stripes and like insane clown posse and Eminem, like all this stuff. Like, it just feels like it is, it is the music city, you know, like it's just, it is the music city, like of all different types of music, especially during this nineties kind of period. I, I, I agree. I agree. I think it's because it's so isolated too, though. Um, mm. I think the, those, those, those bands that really make it or those artists that really make it, um, they, they, uh, their craft is honed in that isolation. You know what I mean? And, and the sound that they come out with is so unique to them and their experience that, uh, I don't think people can deny it. So I, I believe it's because in part we don't have, you know, the support or, you know, we're the underdog, <laughs> the city, <laughs> this city and it's, uh, and it's, you know, occupants, man, we're the underdogs of the world. And uh, we got to fight a little harder and scream a little louder and write a little better. And I, I mean, I don't know. I, I say that all with humility, but um, I think the people that 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 make a name for themselves in this city uh, make a name for themselves, you know, in other places because of uh, because of that, because of they have to fight a little harder. It also feels like a self-starter city. Like, you know, like, look at yourselves. Like, even look at, like, ICP and the White Stripes. Like, all these artists, like, they started their own labels. Like, they didn't wait for someone to come find them. They're doing their own thing first. Right. I think maybe out of necessity, too. I've actually weirdly heard both people from the White Stripes and people from ICP talk about Coles' life with reverence. You know, like, it's just, you're that band that, like, you know, impacted all these scenes, it seems. A ICP played their very first show with Cold as Life at, at this club called uh, Todd's on the east side of Detroit. <laughs> their very first show, man. How did that go over? Like, were they doing the clown and everything at that point? Oh, listen, man, it was a shit show, bro. They they remember that band Crisscross, that hip hop little little kid band where they wore yeah. all backwards clothes. So that's how they showed up, man. They had their clothes on backwards. And they had this manager and they had not played a show yet. And they uh, they walked into a, a hardcore show with, I don't know, maybe four or five hundred people. And they said that they were headlining right off rip. And it ended up being a big old ordeal. But uh, but it, it went down. It went it went down. They played and uh, people were wondering who the fuck these guys were. You know, it was a hardcore bill in a <laughs> hardcore club. And uh, I mean, they did their thing, but people people in the audience were wondering what the hell was going on how did they get on that bill <laughs> what's our manager thinking yeah i don't know i don't know man i don't know i remember being uh gosh man i i don't know man we were uh i want to say pennsylvania somewhere playing a big show and a, a couple other bands uh a, a band called without warning from detroit a hardcore band from uh here they were on the bill uh, one of the cat, the drummer's little brother, uh, I'm looking down this hallway. There's an elevator down the end of the hallway and I see this fight going on and it was the drummer's little brother beating up ICP in the, in the elevator. <laughs> it was, it was kind of funny just talking about it, brought that, brought that up. <laughs> Uh, um, what about uh, plus minus records? Because all, obviously uh, they do the first pressing of Born to Land Hard on CD. Like, when did you first uh, play with Earthmover? Do you remember? Like, did you play with Earthmover at all? Absolutely. You know what? And uh, my apologies for not mentioning them. They they had a, a good following. Man, they were a good band. Yeah. Uh, Lenny Lenny has always been my buddy. Uh, uh, I thank him for his service. He was uh, he he had some injuries um, as an as a, a soldier in the army um good 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 young cat uh earth mover and 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 cold as life did play some shows together we had completely different crowds um they had a more a, a younger uh more suburban crowd um but they went ape shit when earth mover played yeah. um, they kind of looked at us as like uh the old school and they were the new school we were on the way out they were on the way in uh us as bands didn't have any kind of beef at all. They're uh, like I said, Mike Hasty and Lenny. They were they were my buddies, uh, but uh, we had completely different crowds. 
Yeah. No, I can imagine like it's amazing because you're both hardcore bands, but like it's that few years of difference where it's like almost a generational thing. But I can't imagine someone ever saying, Oh, Cold's life's on the way out. I just can't even picture someone doing that. Right. Well, I mean, there was there was there was people that looked at us like that. We were dinosaurs, <laughs> you know. But we were we we're also people that uh others didn't really want around, man. You know what I mean? Cause because it was just you know, it's, there was just times where things just didn't go good you know yeah yeah uh, i read in some old interview that actually one of the motivations for the first tour was because you got a tip that ron's killer might be hiding in europe was that really the motivation for the first tour no no okay i was an interview with someone from a Eurozine from no, that back then we so we definitely made it known that this was a cat that uh that we were looking to find for sure yeah, yeah. Uh, what was it like going to Europe for the first time? Like how, like, what was it like going outside of Detroit with, because you have such a defined thing within that city. Like what was it going out and, and going to other places? Like, was it always receptive or were there certain places that were more receptive than others outside of New York, obviously in Chicago? Uh, you know, I was amazed really. Uh, I, I was amazed playing shows in Finland or Germany or Holland where people were screaming the lyrics at us, you know, this, I think our first tour was 99 and uh, you know, we were, we were going from playing, you know, 200 to 500 person shows in the States to shows where thousands of people were there screaming lyrics. Uh, there, there were some people, there was a lot of shows, Damien, where, you know, because of the reputation that coldest life had uh, that were kind of on the sidelines, kind of, you know, reserved or conservative because they didn't know what to expect, or maybe they were a little bit nervous. So you would always see, uh, maybe a, a lack of uh, participation because of uh, maybe some nerves. But I was amazed and humbled when we would go to Europe. We got a call one day from Theo from uh, from the Noise in Europe, wanting to bring us over there and. At that point, fuck, we had started and stopped and experienced all the things that we've experienced, and we never in a million years thought we'd go to Europe. Um, so when we got the call to go over there, uh, um, we were excited, we were we were humbled, but um, but to show up in different cities across across you know the planet and having people scream our lyrics and buy our merchandise and uh, it was it was humbling, man. It always felt like Cold of Life was like about to explode. Like there was just like it was always bubbling up. Like, you know, once again, this is from an outsider's perspective, like looking at it. But it always felt like do you think it was just like inconsistent lineup issues or because you did insist on staying independent while you guys were never able to like, you know, not that you weren't, you know, like obviously people, you're legends around the world. But I mean, like at the same time, like just, you know, on a consistent level touring and things like that, like you you were never able to kind of like, you know, find that, you know, it just feels like. I don't know. It's one. I wonder why is what I'm trying to get at. I think it's for definitely for the two reasons you mentioned, you know, uh, you know, when you don't have tour support and you're, you know what I mean? Buying cheeseburgers to eat off of, you know, from merch sales, um, when you're having to come up with your own recording budgets and touring in a beat up, you know what I mean? 20 year old van, uh, you know, it, it gets a little tough to get out there the way you need to get out there. Um, and, and the circumstances that we went through, you know, there was, there was, it seemed like every couple of years, one of our members were dying, uh, or getting locked up or, you know, they're, they're demons, they got to fight or, or whatever the case might be. But I think, uh, that it's a little bit of all of that really, that kept us from, uh, from getting to where we wanted to be. Plus, I, I, I think that, um, maybe it was just something that was so real that maybe some labels and some, you know, some of the mainstream, not that Coldest Life was ever a mainstream type commercial type band, but I think that we were always on the fringe because we were on the fringe, you know, we were outcast because we were outcasts. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. There's like, you know, there's like a fear around the band, you know, like people were legitimately scared of Coldest Life. It felt like. Yeah, and I hated that. It shows, man, because that's not what we wanted. We wanted everybody to go ape shit, and there was people that would, you, like, you could see it in their faces, like, fuck, well, 
I don't even know what to do. Well, I guess that's the burden of that reputation, right? Like it's, it obviously makes the band into this legendary thing, but then you, you, you have to deal with this thing everywhere you go. Right. Yeah. I agree with that. Do you want to actually, before we get to that, sorry, uh, how did hate Inc come together? Uh, Tom had always been a, um, a friend of ours that always wanted to do a band. And, uh, and, and we just started, we just started doing it, you know, me, Tom and, uh, or Beast, sorry, uh, and Roy, we've been getting together. We've been making some music. Um, but it was always, Hey, Inc. always had Roy or myself and Beast as part of it. You know, there's been alternating members over the years, but um, Tom had always been a friend of ours. Or I'm sorry, Beast, you know him as Beast. Uh, uh, but it was just always kind of like our, our little thing, you know, it was Tom. It was Roy and it was me as well as Enzo from dogs or Emery. He's gone now, but uh, you know, paintings took in a few different forms, but it's always been Tom, me and Roy. One of the first fucked up shows my band was actually going to be opening for you guys. In Toronto. In Toronto. Hate Inc. and Ryan 99 of the cathedral. Right on. And that was the first time I met Tom. So yeah, like it's, I don't know, like once again, it's, you know, another band that, you know, truly independent but so fucking sick those songs are awesome on that record so i was locked up when uh when clockwork came out mm -hmm. and i've only been out for i don't know maybe 10 11 months now congratulations um, thank you thank you yeah i was gone for quite a stretch but uh i hadn't heard it before and time uh turned me on to a cd of it maybe two months ago and it's been in my in my my CD player in my truck nonstop since, and it is a phenomenal record, man. But I've always liked paid ink, man. I wish, uh, Roy and I, or the people that were involved in it and with it at any given time could have given it a little more of attention because, uh, because I, I think with a little more attention, a little more effort on our parts as musicians, um, really pushing it i think it could have been a lot more but hey dink man it's a good band do you want to get back to singing are you going to start singing again when obviously this is over and we can start doing shows again uh, you know i don't know damien i i'm a guitar player i never even wanted to sing for coldest life man uh I, I like to play guitar um i did it by default you know i didn't want to do it but we couldn't find anybody that could do what we wanted them to do um so i don't know I, the, 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 some people want me to um you know in the music that we're making right now you know we're talking about it you know royer and i are talking about doing some cold as life we're talking about doing some hating but we're right now we're we're just doing something new you know mm -hmm. we, we play some cold as life we play some hating we're thinking about it we're talking about it but uh We've not made any decisions yet. Right now, we're just we're just reconnecting and knocking some dust off and rust off and <coughs> excuse me and seeing where it goes. Well, the reason I laugh there too is because you know you're not a singer, but you took to it really well. Like you, you seem like a singer. Ah, yeah, I'm really not, man. <laughs> I, I like play guitar, right. man. What is it about not like? What is it that you don't like about singing? I I, I think that anybody when they hear their voice on a message or a recording of any sort, they kind of, it kind of makes them cringe. And it's just always been that way for me, you know? Yeah. You have to be really fucked up to like the sound of your own voice. Right, man. That's what I'm saying, man. Uh, we used to laugh about it, man, but I sound like fucking Astro man from the Jetsons when I sing. <laughs> uh, someone once said, I sounded like Yosemite Sam when I sing and that's stuck with me my whole life now. I can't get it out of my head. So right, right. if you right. ever want to do a duet, we can, we can uh, do a cartoon duet sometime. Hey, Hey, I'm not opposed to it, buddy. Let's, let's make it happen. Hey, I'll have my people call yours. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've kept you for a while. And anytime you want to come back on the show, Jeff, please know that the door is always open, but can I ask you a couple more questions before you go? Absolutely. Uh, you know, we've talked about a lot of unbelievably bands, but most of them are, are totally obscure from Detroit. Like what are some of the bands that you think, people should be paying attention to or, or just kind of slip through the cracks back then, like from any era, like it doesn't have to be, you know, back in the day type thing. 
bro. Uh, listen, man. Uh, Heresy. Yeah. One of the best Detroit bands ever. Pitbull. One of the best Detroit hardcore. And I'm sorry for not mentioning them earlier. Uh, great hardcore bands from Detroit. Um, Malaco Plus. Great punk band from Detroit. The Beer Horrors. Great punk band from Detroit. Um, off the top of my head, those four right there will keep keep they'll keep your uh your tape deck or your cd um player busy for quite a while actually that was the last band i wanted to ask you about was pitbull because i think that's bands like so underrated like that those seven inches are fucking incredible yeah they are they are they're one of those bands i think because they were from detroit they were overlooked and um tragically man joey uh Oh man, the drummer, he was one of my best friends, man. Uh he ended up committing suicide a couple of years back. I was in prison when I got out. I got a hold of his brother. I I'm not a big social media guy, man, but I used it to kind of reconnect when I got out of prison. Um and I found his brother on there and I I messaged him and I said, "Where's Joey, man? I got to talk to him. I'm back and I you know, I just want to go give him a hug, man." And and he told me he killed himself and but uh yeah, man. Sorry, man. Rest really sorry. He was a he was a great fucking guy, man. It's one of them one of them losses that uh just doesn't make sense, man. Yeah, no, definitely. It's uh I don't know, just it you know, we keeps coming back to this, but it, it is a scene that has had unbelievable losses. Like not that everywhere doesn't experience loss, but just you know, we've gone through just name after name that have passed away from and it's not a huge scene. Uh, Damien, when when I when I got out, um, and I started asking, "Where's where's this guy? Where's this girl? Where's you know what I mean?" And the amount of people that, that were gone, and just in those eight years that I was gone, is overwhelming, man. Yeah, I don't know what to do. I don't know if there's something in the water or what, man. But there's a lot of loss here, man. Well, Jeff, this has been. A dream come true for me. And anytime you want to come back on this and, and wax about punk or hardcore, please know you're always welcome. Hey, man, there's always something to say, right? Thank you, Jeff, for coming on the show. And you heard right there, Jeff will be back for a part two whenever he, whenever he wants to come on and talk about more stuff because, my gosh, he might not like his voice, but I think his voice is amazing. And one day we'll make that duet. We'll make that uh, the cartoon duet, the Warner Brothers Hanna-Barbera coming together of Astro and Yosemite Sam. Speaking of making things happen, next week on the show, we're going to keep uh, making it happen by having another legendary vocalist on the show. A vocalist who who changed the way people sing in hardcore bands forever after uh, you know some of these records that he put out. From the band Lifetime, from Zero Zero, from also... Uh, the brand new Beach Rats, who are incredible, but also from Enough and Resurrection, the great Ari Katz will be joining me on the show. And this is a super fun conversation with, uh, you know, people don't give this guy enough credit. He's one of the funniest people in punk or hardcore. Punk and hardcore? Punk or hardcore? Yeah, either or. Either or. Or both. He is one of the funniest people. He's a hilarious dude, and I cannot wait for you to hear it. And that's that. Uh, remember, as always, Black Lives Matter. The lives of indigenous people matter. We need to protect trans kids, and we need to help trans people protect themselves and, and just stop all this violence and hatred towards people of Asian descent. Like, this is just, uh, this has got to stop. You know, like, it's just fuck fascism. Like, these aren't political issues. These are just basic human rights issues. And people need to be res respected for who they are. And if you can't do that, well... I don't know. It's just, we just gotta, we gotta do it. We gotta do it. So sign petitions, get involved, lend your time, educate yourself on what's going on in the world. Definitely. Um, and that's that fuck Nazis repeatedly, um, sign your organ donor cards because by the time they come looking for those organs, you don't need them anymore. And, and maybe that can just, uh, you know, it may help someone else live their life, you know? Um, like Jeff said, hug everyone, hug, hug the people around you. Cause you never know when you're going to lose them and, and they're not going to be there. So, so tell the people you love that you love them, let them know. Um, do something creative for yourself. Put yourself out there. It can help. It can help deal with, uh, 
can help you deal with a lot of different things. And speaking of dealing with things, uh, try meditating. I tried it and it's kind of working for me. I'm not saying it's going to work for you. I didn't believe it was going to work for me, but it did. So why not? Why not try it? And that's it. All right, everyone. See you next episode. Thank you very much for listening. Oh, remember to check out Oil and Flowers uh, over there on wherever you listen to your podcasts. It has its own feed now, hosted by Buddha Blaze and myself. We talk about cannabis. And uh, uh, remember to buy that reissue of Born to Land Hard, one of the hardest records of all time. And, and that's it. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs>